0: Back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Raglan, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. This week's guest is a licensed professional counselor, therapist, performer, and podcast host of Sustaining, crea- uh, sustaining Creativity, mind you, uh, Mari Reesberg. Mari, welcome, and What's Your Bliss?
1: Thank you so much, Thomas. It's so great to be here on What's Your Bliss. And what is my bliss? My bliss is creativity. creativity, hands down. I live, love, breathe, I guess, eat, sleep, (laughs) shower creativity, you know. Um, It's something I'm deeply, deeply passionate about and gives me so much joy and so much fuel to do the things that I want to do and how I want to live my life.
0: That's amazing. I love that, and uh, we've had some other creative types on here, so I'm excited to see what that has meant for you and how that specifically brings you bliss. I'm curious to start with how how did you discover that was your bliss? How did how did creativity come to you, um, and and and
1: when? I mean, I think from the moment I probably set foot on the planet, I was a creative, creative being and creative human. Um, And kind of formally, when I was three, I was enrolled in trapeze school. And I did trapeze, aerial dance, static trapeze for 17 years from the time I was three till I was 17. And along with physical theater and gymnastics and clowning and stilts and unicycles and juggling, you know, I I like to say I was raised in a a mini circus um, because that really is quite a big aspect of my young adulthood, Um, but I also grew up with, you know, parents who really supported performing arts. My dad was the drummer in a country western band when I was little, and my mom sang and was a performer in various capacities throughout her life, and and they really encouraged creativity, um, whether it was me you know, pretending to go shopping in the kitchen while my mom was making dinner or me going outside and having full on conversations with the fairies and the plants or (laughs) just allowing my imagination to really explode and be cultivated and experience the wonder and magic of being a kid. And so that's really where it started. And I, don't actually remember a time in my life where creativity wasn't really active whether it was me drawing or coloring or just having you know my imagination play with dolls or with trucks or with sticks and dirt outside <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I love that, you know, you talked about kind of the role of that support as well in, in mm-hmm. fostering that creativity. I think that that's so crucial. And if that's not fostered, I think it can be really stifling for for folks and, and they can have, you know, some, some long term concerns because of that. So I, I think it's really great that you were that you were able to kind of experience that. I'm wondering um, either as as an adult or sometime in your childhood, if there was ever a time where creativity led to something or, or itself was not as blissful as maybe it usually is for you.
1: Absolutely. I think there was a very s- distinct period in high school hmm. where I had come from a small private school where there were 11 people in my class to a public high school where there were 2000 people. And that was a really big jump just in terms of number of people, but also in terms of personalities and, you know, me showing up in a striped tights and a polka dot skirt and Paisley top (laughs) wasn't necessarily what other people were used to or saw and i remember being told to re- it was time to recycle my clothing in high school and i really like took that to heart and bought into i'm just going to conform i need to blend in i want people to like me and so i think that was a really big kind of side step out of the creative expressive bright shiny human that I am (laughs) and and really took a little detour in into you know it was the 90s so we were we're talking pleated khakis sweater vests the that (laughs) not the most exciting clothing choices (laughs) but um but yeah I think that was a time in my life where clothes didn't really take on that creativity capacity like they had in my life but I was still singing and acting and dancing but um yeah in terms of Mari who I am as a human expressing myself through what I was wearing took a little the volume got turned down quite a bit
0: when you were able to still do some of those other creative, have some of those creative outlets, singing, acting, those types of things, did you feel similar uh, consternation, so to speak, or was there were there moments where you're like, "Oh, maybe this is also an area where i'm not I'm not quite fitting in, or was that more of an outlet for you?
1: It was definitely an outlet. I think anytime I was on stage, it felt like a very felt like being home. It felt very familiar. It was very very comfortable. I still am very comfortable talking to large groups of people, you know, about a lot of different things, um, and and so it didn't really bleed or blend into that part of my life. They they became a little more separate, um, and I, I think over the course of four years in high school, I kind of rediscovered who I was. Sure. And, um, and I think the theater really helped with a lot of that, just really supporting people to be who they are. Um, yeah, I think that was, that still was an outlet for me. It didn't become a space that I let the, I didn't turn the volume down. If anything, I turned it up. Sure. On stage. You were able to
0: replace some of that because maybe it wasn't yeah. taken up in, in the way that it traditionally would have been.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That makes a lot of sense. How about your parents? Did they notice when your clothes became more muted and things like that? Or did you talk to them about that?
1: I don't think I ever talked to them about it. I mean, I think they... they I'm sure they noticed. Sure. And I, they, I don't recall them ever commenting on it um, or saying anything about it. It was just kind of like another phase that people go through in high (laughs) school where you try on different identities. And this was another one I was trying on. And then later on, I got really into vintage clothing and like everything was vintage. (laughs) And so that was another stage. So we're
0: we're still wearing pleated khakis to this day is what I'm hearing. Uh. Yes, yes, yes.
1: (laughs) That's my vintage clothing choice these days. Yeah. (laughs) And then I started feeling like I want something a little bit more. I need something else. Um, and when I lived in New York, random people, strangers would come up to me or I'd you know meet them at a bar or while I was getting my nails done or and they would unprovoked tell me their life story. And I thought, huh, I should get paid for this and this is a really interesting experience for, to have people unrequested share, what their challenges are, what they're going through, and just listen to it. Um, And so I started thinking, well, what do I want to do? You know, I was singing in an Irish band, I was a nanny, I felt like I wanted something a little bit more. And so I started looking in the world of therapy. And then I learned about the creative arts therapies. And I knew how much Joy and transformation I had experienced myself in the world of movement. And I was introduced to dance movement therapy. And so I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. That feels like a deep connection to me. And so I did a lot of research on the different programs around the country. And the one I settled on was at Naropa University, a tiny Buddhist inspired university in Boulder, Colorado. And I went and got my master's in somatic counseling psychology, dance movement therapy. And then a few years after getting my master's, I started putting the pieces together from acting school and my master's in psychology and recognizing how I I wished I had had some of the psychology skills in acting school because they would have helped so much So that started me on that journey of combining my degrees to support originally performers around sustaining creativity and now has turned into performers and non-performers around sustaining creativity, awakening creativity, reclaiming creativity in their lives through creativity coaching, through the programs that I have available for people to participate in and um, and my podcast, the Sustaining Creativity Podcast. So that is where I have combined all of these, but it really took off in 2013 when I started um, guest artisting, artisting, that's kind of a word. I think um, that's right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> At um, universities around the country in their dance and theater departments and working with students around sustaining creativity and what that looks like in the field of entertainment and how can I support them and give them some skills to navigate the immense amount of rejection that they will experience and how they can understand emotions in a way that supports that expression on stage in a different way that you don't really learn in acting school. It's kind of an extra piece that you would do on your own. Um, so that's kind of where it all comes together. But I love supporting people with creativity because I believe we are all creative. There are different types of creativity. There's functional creativity, everyday creativity, performative creativity and you don't have to perform to be a creative human. How you get dressed or how you walk your dog or what you choose to make for dinner or breakfast could be your creative act for the day. So that's kind of normalizing what creativity is. And creativity is like any other muscle in your body. You have to flex it to keep it awake and using, usable. So I support people to really find a foundation of safety within themselves to take creative risk from because if we don't have safety, it's really, really hard to take creative risk or any risk for that matter in our life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I resonate a lot with that and this idea around creativity can be whatever it means to you right and and that can be a lot of different ways I I used to say all the time the uh, the only way that I had to accessorize at work was to wear a tie and wear a different tie every day and I ended up with like 75 ties or something like that because (laughs) like that was my way of just that little bit of color that little bit of of creativity of like, how, mm-hmm. how do I want to stand out today? And I think it can be as simple as, as that, but, but I am curious on this, the, the concept itself of sustaining creativity. And I think it also speaks to what you're talking about is if you kind of, you can atrophy if you don't, yeah. if you don't work your muscles out. Right. And so yeah. t- tell us where the, where that concept of sustain this, the sustainability of creativity and, and how, that looks in practice on, on trying to sustain creativity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've got like two parts here, but the first piece in what what is, well, first creativity and people who put out a lot of creativity, many of us believe, or I think historically people have thought if you are a performer or a creative person, you have this never-ending wealth of creativity. Mm-hmm. But just like anything else, you have to fill your creativity cup, or you have to put your you know, air mask on first, <laughs> or you have to fill your emotional bank before you can support someone else emotionally. And the same goes for creativity. So even though creative people may have easier an easier time accessing creative aspects or creative ideas. It doesn't necessarily mean they have this never ending wealth of it. Hmm. They too are still flexing their own personal creativity muscle that fuels them enough to continue to output the creative expression or creative experience. So to sustain creativity, we actually have to learn what creativity we like, what creativity fuels us. Um, I think many people take, we take in a lot of creative expressions from others, but it's really hard to know what your personal creative expression is by watching someone else's. You kind of have to try it on and do a little inner searching of what is that creative what type of creativity fuels me brings me joy is my bliss and so it does it takes some inner work we can't expect to find our version of creativity by watching someone else
0: how do you how do you help people find theirs i mean i'm guessing it's just a lot of or some, at least, like trial and error. Like, this is not <laughs> what, you know, this doesn't work for me or things like that. But, you know, I think yeah. to your point, like a lot of us, I think, would look to somebody else, like, and, and even uh, to, to be candid, like, I think part of this podcast is like, hey, you haven't tried this before. So maybe this will bring you bliss, right? Maybe this will yeah. be something that, and so I think, um, so when I think of that also, like, um, you know, I, I certainly do that to be helpful, not to be detrimental, but I do think that there is a, a line of, where that meets. So I'm curious how how you do cultivate that.
1: How I cultivate the creativity. Kind of like, the
0: finding of the individual creativity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is revisiting things we did as kids. Some of it is, you know, picking up a musical instrument again or, but it's also trying new things. So it could be trying old things and trying new things. Um, if you have a an idea or a, something that you want more of in your life, more confidence. So maybe you would try something like joining a meetup group and they, you work on giving speeches or something like that, or is something that might be a creative expression, or if trying something new, like a new food that could be creative, you know, creativity happens outside of your comfort zone. And so hmm. how do you keep one foot in your comfort zone? And in the world of therapy, we are kind of titrating or testing the waters with that foundation in our comfort zone or in our safety space. So that's how we really, we take small steps. It's not jump off the high dive into the deep end. Right. <laughs> it's it's the small steps. And we, we set up A foundation of safety, safe place, safe time, safe mind, you know, really, what are those external objects that give us safety? What are the in what's the internal experience we have of safety? And how can that support us feeling safe enough? Because we'll never feel 100% safe. So safe enough to take something, some small risk, trying a new food, walking a different way, when you take your pet for a walk or driving a different way on your way to work Um, and seeing that as creative. I think sometimes people might see that as like, no, that's just what I do. Mm. But how might it shift for you if you looked at it through the lens of creativity and said, Oh, I'm making a creative choice here by choosing a new way to drive or choosing to try a new food.
0: Yeah, it really is just, analyzing creativity in a, in a different light. It's it's recognizing that every choice yeah. can be a creative choice or, or can be part of creativity. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm also hearing you say is this push out of the comfort zone. And we have a concept within, um, uh, I do a lot of work with restorative justice. And we have a concept within that around, how do you push someone past the comfort zone to the learning zone, but not into the danger zone, right? right. <laughs> and so we want them in that learning zone when they're trying to figure these things out. But we also know that there's an edge where it's, it's no longer safe. And the benefits of what they're getting from ex- mm-hmm. exploration is or are not, you know, are not outweighing the the detriments that they might face. Um, and so I'm hearing you say, like, push them into that learning zone. <laughs> Let's get them into that place where it it's, it's a bit of comfort being uncomfortable. But it's also yeah. like, there's enough safety that you're not going to push them too far.
1: Yeah. And recognizing, you know, in therapy, we talk a lot about our window of tolerance. So that space where we have an upper limit and a lower limit and what's the sweet spot in there and how can we, how can I support someone to recognize their upper limit and know when they're approaching it and recognize when they're in a space where they could tolerate a little bit more. Um, So there's a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness that goes into testing or trying on creativity. And I think there's also a lot of trust that you have to cultivate and develop within yourself to trust yourself enough to take a step outside your comfort zone. Um, we, Our brains are designed to follow the path of least resistance. We like the easy... We like it. We like routine. We like habits. That's what our brains are really designed for. And yet creativity, it really explodes when we step off the path of least resistance. When something is a little difficult, not too difficult, but a little difficult or a little bit new, we still want the familiar, but something that's just new enough to spark some bliss or some joy or some happiness or creativity in us.
0: Right. Yeah, you've you've mentioned a couple of times uh, trying a new food can fit into that. And that's also immediately where my mind went when you were saying that is if you have only eaten hamburgers and fries for your entire life. And then you decide, Hey, today I'm going to try octopus. Well, maybe that's not going to be the, you know, kind of one-to-one that you're hoping for to like dive into new cuisine. Maybe it is, but maybe we start with a, with a steak, or maybe we start with a mashed potatoes or something like that. Like, like just, just adventuring out just a little bit um, versus like something completely new and setting yourself up for failure.
1: Right. Exactly. And I like to, I believe that Every failure is a learning opportunity and, you know, it it can also be traumatizing and we don't, that's not the goal. And we don't want that. And so being able to have that foundation can really foundation of safety and trust within ourselves that we trust ourselves enough to try something within our learning zone instead of the danger zone to use your language. Yeah.
0: (laughs) if anything, uh, maybe the answer is nothing. Um, but what is something that surprised you just working in in creativity, having that become kind of your, uh, not just your life's passion, but really your life's work at this point? Is there something that surprised you either in the field itself or, or working with specific individuals?
1: Oh, gosh, so many things surprise me. I feel like every day I'm surprised about something <laughs> in the world of creativity. That's fair. Um, I... there are a couple things that really stand out Um, in going to get the dates wrong, but seventies, sixties, seventies, NASA asked um, a gentleman whose last name is Land George Landlund about um, how to kind of measure creative genius. And so they did this study of five-year-olds and they, you know, asked them questions and the results were that like 98% of five-year-olds scored off the charts in creative genius. And then he followed up five years later and the number decreased to 38%. And then he followed up five years later and the number decreased to 12%. And then they did a huge study of 200,000 adults and only 2% of adults scored in the creative genius. So learning that, I was completely surprised. I guess I wasn't surprised that five-year-olds have creative genius, because I believe that. But the number of adults I was really surprised at, it was only 2% that really held on to that creative genius. And that gave me a lot of kind of spark to want to share creativity with more people and make it really accessible it's not a gene that you're born with it's something that you cultivate and sustain and work on and and I'm also surprised by how much creativity shows up in our everyday life like you can't find a screwdriver so you use a butter knife to tighten a screw or you can't your shoot the aglet on the end of your shoelace comes off, and you use a piece of tape, or you know those things that we we don't necessarily see as being creative, but they they really they are. It's a a new way of using something or solving a problem. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really hit by this concept of 95 percent to two percent and how we get from there you know really in what 15 years roughly <laughs> and we go you know 13 years maybe um mm-hmm. yeah and and we really just kind of fall down that and and it, it reminds me we've been talking a lot in, on recent episodes of the podcast of that childlike awe right yeah. when you're when you're a child you get to have that and and you're not used to the world and it's Pitfalls and things like that, and so I, I would imagine that a lot of that just becomes that you're unencumbered by the problems, and and you are probably more supported in making creative decisions. It's more socially acceptable for you to make creative decisions, um, and I'm curious if you if you found that like societally is is there something that we're doing that's that is stifling creativity.
1: There's an amazing Ted talk. I think it's like the most watched Ted talk by a gentleman um, who, again, whose name I'm not going to remember right now. That's amazing. But it's about um, kind of like why schools are killing creativity or why education is killing creativity, something to that effect. And yeah, I would encourage people to watch it (laughs) and listen to it. I agree with some of the stuff that he has to say, but I also think that there is this other piece developmentally at play where five-year-old's prefrontal cortex, so the evaluative part of our brain, isn't really online yet. So we're not evaluating or assessing or, you know, judging what we're doing. And there's also the opportunity that we have as kids we have much a much faster access to our subconscious, which is where creativity comes from. Like creativity permeates from there. And so I think there's potentially some of that going on. And as we get older, we our prefrontal cortex, which is really helpful and helps us out a lot of the time, is important that we have, and can sometimes be a little too much
0: yeah, a a little too protective um, yeah and and not want like you said we want to take the path of least resistance we don't want things to get in our way we don't want things that are going to be hard necessarily and so yeah I think building that in in some ways great we we're not taking unnecessary risks but maybe we don't take the risks or or seek out the things that might have Mm -hmm. given us a reason to do those things previously yeah um what happens to that unused creativity? Does it does it go somewhere? Does it just atrophy? Is it gone forever? what What are we working with when we're not we're not flexing those muscles?
1: That's such a great question. i I think I don't know that it goes away. I think it's always there, and it's just kind of waiting for us to tap into it. Um, but that it kind of makes me think about, The amount of creative regret that we as humans have that oh I I wish I'd stuck with that instrument or I wish I'd learned x y you know insert whatever here and how really flexing our creativity or engaging with creativity is it really is the a balm for regret or uh you know a support for regretting less in our life. I mean, I think there are lots of things that we can regret that aren't related to creativity, really. And yet, so much of the, I wish I'd traveled to that place or I wish I could have done something that you potentially have the capacity to do and now feel like you can't and you regret not taking the chance when you had it. Um, So yeah, I, I think creativity doesn't go away unused creativity doesn't go away it's just waiting waiting for you to play with it again
0: (laughs) yeah yeah waiting like you said waiting to tap into it waiting to um, find a place to put it because again it may not be the place that you put it when you were five right it may be a completely different thing or it may be that hey just pick up the, the guitar again just pick up the trumpet again right it, it could mm-hmm. be something as um, I say simple but it could it really could be something as easy as hey it is something that I always loved doing and why did I stop was it yeah. was it because I was afraid of what the high school kids would say when I'm rock, when I'm rocking my paisley or was <laughs> it because I, I didn't find that enjoyment anymore and I think that those two things you know um, it could be either it could be both it could be neither of those things but yeah. yeah I think it's it's identifying that and then Working forward from there,
1: absolutely. And like, if you pick something up again and you still hate it, that's okay. Like, don't
0: no one's forcing you, right? <laughs> right, right. You
1: have a choice.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious through, um, and especially knowing what I do about naropa perhaps this this came out while you were there, and maybe it's it's come up since. I'm curious if you've explored what um, what creativity looks like culturally across uh, other. Uh, societies and, and, um, and globally, I mean, are we, are we all, do we all experience these kind of same ebbs and flows? Do we do, is our society more prone to stifling that creativity than some things more collectivist? I, I'm curious if, if any of that has come up.
1: I don't think it really came up at Naropa, but it has definitely come up in my own podcast, talking to people around the world about yeah. creativity and just my own assessing how people in other countries and other cultures experience, express, engage with creativity, their own, with others. And I do feel like it's it is different, country to country, how creativity is supported societally. You know, in France, they have artists supported by the government. Like they can't they are paid by the government to just be an artist. I mean, if someone is thinking, I want to be an artist, but I then also have to wait tables and drive Uber and, you know, all of the right. things. And so to have a system and society support the arts in that way or support creativity in that fashion, that's a really unique and different space to <laughs> express creativity in than right. then having a family member say, oh, you're an actor. Well, what are you going to do for money? Or what's your backup plan? when you have a society saying we're going to support you while you are this working on being an actor or dancer, or singer, or performer versus, well, what's your backup plan? That's not a real career That's you know, so I think creativity does have very unique expression and experience culturally, systemically in society. Right. Um, but I, I really gathered that from talking to people around the world about their experience of creativity and what it means to them. Sure.
0: What prompted the start of the podcast?
1: Well, I, as a therapist, I love talking to people and I love hearing people's stories and creativity is something that I, it is my bliss. I love it. I love talking about it. It gives me a lot of energy and joy And when I was not able to go to universities to share this work with other people and, you know, I started thinking, well, how could I share it with more people? And then as I was talking to more and more people about creativity and having people tell me, oh, I'm not creative. Oh, only certain people are creative or I don't have a creative bone in my body. I can't tell you how many times I heard people say that. And in the span of 10 minutes, I could have told them five ways that they had experienced or expressed creativity. And so I started thinking, well, how can I make creativity a little more accessible and a way for people to understand it and to hear stories of creativity from very different backgrounds, ages, genders, you know, able to really express and explore what creativity means to them and even if someone who doesn't think they're creative hears someone else on my podcast say you know I didn't think I was creative in the beginning of our conversation and now I see how many ways I am creative I think that's like what a beautiful gift to be able to share creativity in that way with other people.
0: Yeah I I completely agree and the ability to do that. And it sounds like taking, um, uh, p- perhaps I have may have my timeline wrong, but it sounds like taking advantage of the fact that travel wasn't possible. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, and really, uh, you know, kind of, ha- I think refocusing on we are a global society right now. Mm-hmm. And we are able to meet people from all over the world and talk to them about Anything, yeah. <laughs> and then to to bring that to kind of your purpose and and what you've done with creativity in your life and what you've done for for others through through therapy and through talks and all of that, I mean, I think it's amazing what what you're doing with with the podcast mm-hmm. and like you said, inspiring that creativity in someone who says, oh, "I didn't I didn't know that I could be creative," but hey, they, this person talked about this very specific thing. And Hey, I do that all the time. Yeah. I love doing that. You know, I love being creative in that way. Um, has there been any type of subject that's like uh, really jumped out and spoken to you? And you're like, Oh yeah, that is like, that's really unique or, or anything like that.
1: Um, you know, I think the, I had a dear friend come on the podcast and she's a lawyer and I thought, Oh, this is going to be interesting conversation. How's <laughs> this going to be creative? Yeah. And yet how she looks at being a lawyer, I was completely surprised how much creativity she sees going into the writing of an argument or the presentation if you are a litigator and you're like arguing with a jury and that whole experience of just how much creativity goes into it and the prolific writing that lawyers do is huge expression of creativity. And and I never really put those pieces together. I just kind of, yeah, unfortunately, wrote off lawyers about yeah. <laughs> and that, their ability to be no, creative. Totally <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that idea of, you know, it could be a career that I really don't see as being creative and talking to someone in it they are, they find the creative moments or I ta- was talking to someone, he's an accountant and he is changing the world of accounting through creativity. Mm. And like, what? Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Being able to, to, you know, find those pockets of creativity in areas where maybe you wouldn't, you know, maybe you wouldn't really think they were creative or, you yourself couldn't see the creativity until someone else shared their creative experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I think of this with like data analytics and I'm kind of a data nerd and, (laughs) but I think when I present data, I try to do it in a way that's pleasing that's creative that's going to get the 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 required response and that does sometimes take like i wouldn't have thought of it as creative necessarily even a couple years ago but in like thinking about oh where do i get where do i get my creative outlets uh and that's just one of those little little ways that i can do that and and add a little bit of flair so to speak Mm -hmm. to kind of what we're doing i'm i'm wondering you mentioned at the very beginning that you know you had really good parental support and i in general, what do you think the but not, not the role of support necessarily, but but what has been kind of that sustaining support for you? What's your support system look like now and 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 how does that help encourage that creativity?
1: I really think creativity flourishes in community. Hmm. So finding communities, and I bop around to a lot of communities in in my own life, you know, I ha- I'm a tango dancer. So I have a whole tango community. I sing. So I have a music community, um, creativity, coaching. I also, am a- I practice meditation and mindfulness. So there's a huge community of that as a therapist, huge community of therapists. So I'm able to really cultivate creativity within each of those communities. And, and then I still have my family and parents supporting me in the choices that I'm making in my life. But also it's, you know, getting to share it with new people is also creating more community for me. And yeah, I really think creativity comes alive in community. There's also important aspects of creativity to just do on your own alone that you don't share with anyone. But when you're able to come together together, with other people working towards similar things it can it can be a pretty magical experience
0: i really like that thought around it flourishing in community and like you said it can happen in a vacuum it can happen individually there's absolutely ways that you can do that yeah and it's also that ability to share that and that ability to to engage and to find these different ways and to interview people from across the world and say, hey, what are you doing to be creative and, and inspire that and sustain that? And all those things are, I think community has been a theme that I didn't necessarily intend from this podcast, but I'm certainly getting it in pretty much every conversation. And I think um, you know, it, it's, it's mm. kind of why I ask the question around the support network, because I think that that has really... Uh, it's it's really come through in my conversations with people that that having that support, having that community is so crucial to us being able to have our bliss because we can welcome that I guess
1: yeah yeah and I think we get so much fuel from connection with other people hmm. and I know I do I know I get a lot of creative spark or creative joy hearing what someone else is working on or hearing creative project that someone else did. And, and, and I think, oh man, that was awesome idea. And it inspires me or sparks some other creative idea in my own mind of how would I do something like that? Or how could I repurpose that idea for myself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one question that I had was, has there been something that you've tried in in a creative endeavor that was like, nope, this one doesn't work. Like this doesn't work for me. <laughs> and that's okay. Cause I have all these other things, but is, as has there ever been one that's like, maybe that's not high on my list of, of ways that I'm going to find this?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I, um, Hmm. I don't know if there's something that I've found where I really felt like, no, this This is not my creative joy, my creative passion. I think I can always, I always learn something from it if it goes horribly pear shaped. (laughs) But um, I, yeah, I don't know that there's, there is something that I have tried that I thought, oh, this is really, this is total crap or um, I've never really been called to like be a mountain biker or, sure. you know, yeah. like yeah. and I don't know that I would 100% enjoy it if I were to try it yeah but you know that's fair I feel like I know myself pretty well in terms of the things that I enjoy doing and yeah
0: and, so. and I think that that's a key piece right is knowing yourself and, and knowing things yeah. that are going to maximize that potential for you, and um, I'm a maximizer, so that's very dear to my heart. Like <laughs> I, I know where I do have some limitations, and if I, yeah. and I know where that will potentially cause frustration, and so right. if I, if I can find something that I'd rather do, and there are things that I really like to do that I'm I don't know that I'm good at but like to me it is still like a creative outlet like I like to draw a lot and I'm not great at it by any stretch of the imagination but for me it is that outlet and mm-hmm. it's like it's not about being good I'm not trying to make a and I think we, we often associate creativity with that right like yeah. oh, I like to play the violin because I'm good at the violin or I have right. to be good at the violin to like playing the violin and it's like you know it I mean, unless you have this aversion to to terrible noises, uh, which if you're playing the violin poorly, maybe that will happen. But in general, like you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily be good at what you love and you don't have to necessarily love what you do. And and figuring yeah. that out uh, has been key for me finding happiness. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think there's also a lot of wisdom. Like there's great wisdom from professionals, but there's incredible wisdom from novices being the novice and yeah. the beginner of something too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, as we're winding down, that was a quick time that it just flew by for me. Yeah. Um, so you, you've you given a lot of great advice already, but if you had to boil it down to just someone who's starting their creative journey, who's who's decided to start flexing those muscles, what advice would you give for them to, to help find creativity as a bliss?
1: mm. Oh my goodness. So many things. Um, Go for a walk. Get outside. um, Take 15 minutes and write whatever's on your mind. Don't stop. Just write and write and write and write. Even if I have nothing to write, write that (laughs) for 15 minutes. Um, Play a game. um, Try something new. Um, When you get dressed in the morning, have an idea of how you want to feel that day and find an outfit that helps you feel that way. Um, yeah, those would be like the little five, yeah. four or five ways to sure. start flexing that creative muscle. Yeah.
0: Take those baby steps and, and take, yeah. uh, take a small risk. It doesn't, like we said earlier, it doesn't have to be that big risk. It can be that small little risk and just see how it, see how it fits.
1: Exactly. And if you hate it, great. That is so much information right there.
0: Yes, <laughs> learn just as much from from the things that we don't like or the things we fail as we do from the things we enjoy, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, well, last question is, is just, what would you like to promote?
1: What would I like to promote? Well, my Sustaining Creativity podcast, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also pop over to my website, sustainingcreativity.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at Sustaining Creativity. And yeah, right. I, I, I don't know when this episode <laughs> is coming out, but I've got some, some things coming up <laughs> that people can participate in.
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, feel free if you want, if you want to, either we can talk about them now or I can throw them in the show notes, whatever makes the most sense.
1: Yeah, let's, we'll sh- throw them in the show notes because I don't know when this is coming
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, Mari, thank you so much. It's been an absolute treat and, and, and a true joy to, to have you on. And I just loved our conversation and uh, I'm just so grateful that you uh, decided to come and join me for, for a few minutes.
1: Thank you so much for asking. This has been so much fun. I love talking about my bliss and creativity. So perfect combo.
0: Absolutely. Perfect combo for me as well. And thank you again so much. And we'll see everybody next time on What's Your Bliss. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at Your Pod, and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast.